Welcome to episode 6 of Mimble Mumble the Harry Potter podcast. I am Aishwarya. I am Prashanthini. We'll be rereading and discussing the Harry Potter books over the course of our run. Currently we're reading book 1 Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Today's episode is called Harry Meets Dumbledore. We'll cover chapter 11 Quidditch and chapter 12 Mirror of Erised. Let's start with the summary. Quidditch season is here. Harry is getting ready to play his first match by practicing and by reading a book called Quidditch Through the Ages. Snape randomly confiscates the book and when Harry goes to Snape's office to get the book back, he sees something that makes him think that Snape is trying to steal whatever the three-headed dog is guarding. During the match next day, Ron and Hermione figure out that Snape is trying to jinx Harry's broom. Hermione does some quick thinking, distracts Snape and saves Harry. Hagrid refuses to buy their theory about Snape. He also lets slip that someone called Nicholas Flamel is involved in whatever the dog is guarding. Over the next few weeks, the trio tries to unsuccessfully find out who Nicholas Flamel is. Christmas comes. Harry and all the Weasley boys stay back in Hogwarts for the holidays. Harry receives an invisibility cloak as his Christmas present. He decides to use it to get into the restricted section of the library and find out who Nicholas Flamel is. However, the plan backfires. and to escape filch and snape he enters a disused classroom he finds a mysterious mirror where he could see himself though he was using his invisibility cloak but he also sees his mother father and the potter family in the mirror he is consumed by what he sees and keeps coming back every night until dumbledore intervenes dumbledore explains what the mirror is and tells harry not to come looking for it anymore because it was going to be moved At the beginning of chapter 11 we find out that Harry's been training for 2 months for his first Quidditch match. He's been kept a secret all this time but the news has leaked out somehow. The stakes for the match are pretty high and surprisingly simple. If Gryffindor wins this match against Slytherin, they will be in second place for the house championship. Don't you think that given that there are four teams mm. playing Quidditch that there would be some sort of league set up and it wouldn't be that easy especially if this is Harry's first match. And I'm assuming this is the first match Gryffindor is ever playing. you would have to win the league to actually win any substantial amount of points to be able to push yourself up in the house championship i assume that hufflepuff and ravenclaw there was a match before this match maybe i guess maybe there was a hufflepuff ravenclaw match that decided this particular match's stakes so it also becomes really cold in hogwarts the classrooms are getting draftier and uh, hagrid actually has to like bundle up to go and defrost broomsticks which leads me to wonder how does one defrost broomsticks and why does one need to defrost broomsticks <laughs> Because it's very cold to sit on. Yeah, but there should be a spell for this. Both Hagrid and Filch do pretty tough jobs. A lot of their work will become much easier if they can do magic. If they're allowed to do magic in one case and if they can do magic in the other case. Yeah, I guess in the end, magic can be very helpful, but elbow grease does the job really well. <laughs> So yes. Harry is really nervous about his first Quidditch match and why wouldn't he be people apparently either tell him that he is going to win or they're going to be running around underneath him holding a mattress which is really absurd to paraphrase Ron from later on in this book have you gone mad <laughs> are they seriously wizards or not why would you run around holding a mattress underneath him when you could use your stupid wand <laughs> and you just learned a spell to levitate objects in the air but yeah i would be super nervous if i were in harry's position but harry is pretty confident about flying and his abilities when it comes to quidditch i think he's anyway ameliorating his nerves by reading quidditch to the ages that hermione gives him and first when the book is mentioned they say that hermione bowled them with fa- 
facts from the book. Harry then he reads it himself and he's like, it's actually not very bad. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the most fun fact from Quidditch to the Ages is that there are 700 fouls that you can commit. But the full list is not available for public viewing because the department thinks that wizards might get ideas. <laughs> yeah. So as most of you might know, Quidditch Through the Ages is a separate book in itself that J.K. Rowling published after the series was complete. All the proceeds from the sale of Quidditch Through the Ages goes to this UK charity called Comic Relief. It's actually a fun book with a lot of history about how Quidditch started, what are the other broomstick games that were played before Quidditch. And it's about different teams and different rules and different fouls that were committed and all that. It's a pretty fun read. It's a very short book also. I was reading it again because I started reading about the book, then I started reading the book. And there was this one particular rule that was actually very funny. Rule 4, the quaffle may be taken from another player's grasp, but under no circumstances must one player seize hold of any part of other player's anatomy. <laughs> What must have happened <laughs> to have that as a rule? <laughs> I remember that there is a foul, which is keepers only, that says that you shouldn't put a part of your anatomy in the hoop to make sure that the quaffle can't oh, yeah. go past it. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> I think every game has this phase where people take advantage of the loopholes. It happened in cricket. I've seen some old matches where there was just one run to score from the last ball. And one run means that the batting team will actually win. So this bowler came running. I don't know the technical term, so I'm sorry. <laughs> he came running and then he stopped and instead of bowling, he actually rolled the ball on the ground. Wow, that should be a foul. Yeah, that must be a foul now. It's not great sportsmanship also, to be honest. <laughs> so Harry's trying to get over his nerves by reading the book. At this point, there's a nice little mention about how their relationship has progressed over... The course of Harry's training. Harry thinks about how much nicer Hermione has become, which we spoke about in the last episode that uh, she's good for them and they are good for her mm-hmm. as well. She gets them to like focus and study <laughs> and actually pay attention to classes and information that's being passed on there and they actually help her relax. She doesn't break the rules per se. She conjures fire in a little jam jar that, you know, they use to keep them warm in the corridor. They're not sure if it's like illegal. Yeah. If they're not sure if it's a rule, or not, mm. but they still look guilty anyway when Snape finds them. So at this point in the illustrated edition, we see for the first time what Jim K thinks Hermione Granger looks like. And she surprisingly looks a lot like Emma Watson and not simultaneously. One of the criticisms that were leveled at Emma Watson's casting was that she is too pretty mm. to be Hermione Granger. And this wasn't true when she was a child. Not that she was an ugly child. I'm not saying that at all. She's supposed to have large front teeth. She's supposed to have bushy hair, which she does have in the first two books. But after that, she goes back to having Emma Watson hair. Mm-hmm. And Emma Watson hair is very pretty, but it's not Hermione Granger hair. So there was a lot of criticism around that casting, even though Emma Watson is actually tried a lot into my perception of Hermione Granger. She made the role her own, quite literally, which is not the same for pretty much any other character. In the- and I think... Emma Watson herself influences a lot of that perception because she is quite bookish and she stands, I mean, she stands up in the same way Hermione Granger does. In many ways, they are very similar. 
there is a fun story about their time filming the third movie the director asked them to turn in an essay about their perceptions of the trials their characters have to endure in the third book emma watson turned in more pages than she was supposed to daniel radcliffe turned in exactly one page and rupert grin didn't turn in anything at all <laughs> yeah that's a pretty good demonstration of what they think their characters are <laughs> <laughs> but i'm starting to really like ron more and more because when snape confiscates the book he's limping away and ron is like but i hope it's really hurting him said ron bitterly but i think that snape coming and confiscating the book randomly was pure plot movement device as is the incident that follows when harry realizes that he desperately needs the book to get through to the next day he goes to the teacher's staff room to ask snape for the book because he thinks if he asks snape in front of the other teachers snape will have no choice but to turn the book over but conveniently the only people in the staff room are snape and filch and snape is showing his bloody mangled leg to filch who is handing him bandages and conveniently say talking about the three-headed dog how are you supposed to keep your eyes on all three heads at once yeah it was a major eye roll moment for me and how is filch in on this exactly i mean a why is filch there b why would snape ask filch c why wouldn't snape go to the hospital wing d from later on in the series we know that snape is a really good wizard also he's a potions master he doesn't own any blood clotting potions at all <laughs> this entire incident might as well scream plot device <laughs> Yeah, I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't a big fan either. Especially I mean, and Harry's knocking. He knocks and knocks and they don't open the door and that's why he goes in. Yeah, and then yeah. Snape like looks at him and says, "Get out." And Harry races back and immediately assumes that Snape is the one who let the troll in. Come on, give Snape a little bit more credit. I also think it's more it's plot device, yes, but it's also more of a misdirection than than bad writing. No, yeah, it's it's Or, a very I think it's badly written misdirection. <laughs> it's a very clumsy misdirection, I agree. Yeah. You mentioned how Snape didn't go to the hospital wing, right? Maybe there are some wounds that just cannot be cured that easily by magic. This happens much later in the series also. There are at least two wounds that I can think of that cannot be cured at all. But we do find out that you might not be able to cure it completely, but they do have herbs that they use to at least relieve the pain a little bit. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe again the other day Aishwarya wrote a speculation piece about Dumbledore, and she posted it on Reddit. And this other Reddit user had this very interesting theory about the first book. This is something we spoke about even in the fourth episode, I think. How the first book is more of a pilot book rather than anything else. And he echoed the same feelings. I think a lot of people feel the same way. So based on that, I think we can actually discount this. There is no point in thinking too much about this because I don't think J.K. Rowling thought too much about this either. <laughs> I'm sure she didn't write the first book thinking that all seven six books will follow afterwards. Yeah. She probably just thought this might be a one-off project and yeah. And then the next day the match is going to happen and Harry is very nervous he's refusing to eat. Harry being too nervous to eat is a phenomenon that I am very familiar with. Yeah, me too. But you know, Ron is always portrayed as this insensitive character who eats a lot, but in the book it's actually Seamus who's who insensitive and eats a lot. <laughs> Maybe the movies influence the later books. I'm not sure but I don't know when the USP of the character just shifted from one oh, to the next When I think of Ron Weasley in the first movie I think of that scene where he's eating chicken legs yeah <laughs> one in each hand Yes <laughs> and he's so cute maybe yeah. that really did help <laughs> But there is a fair amount of mentions of him eating in the books and he's he might be insensitive to other people but he's never insensitive to Harry 
ट्रू ही इज यूजली इनसेंसिटिव टू हेरमोइन ही मोस्ट ऑफ द टाइम्स बट ही इज वेरी परसेप्टिव ऑफ हैरीज इमोशंस या हाउ अनफेयर ही इज यूजली वेरी अवेयर लाइक इवन व्हेन हैरीज टू नर्वस टू ईट राइट एंड हर्माइनी इज ट्राइंग टू गेट हिम टू ईट यू विल नोटिस दैट इट्स ओनली हर्माइनी हु इज ट्राइंग रॉन कंप्लीटली अंडरस्टैंड्स एंड इजंट इवन लाइक अटेम्प्टिंग yeah they do have a very sweet friendship now that i think of it even harry is not very pushy about ron even though he knows that ron is doing something wrong he's not afraid of ron to get in the way but he understands that ron will eventually understand things instead of him pushing or lecturing yeah yeah and then they go to the pitch and uh, dean has come up with a potter for president banner also potter for president exactly don't they don't even have a presidential system in the uk i yeah. know i i don't get it maybe it's like a class president or i don't know <laughs> and and they have head boys in the school so shouldn't it be like potter for head boy potter for yeah. headmaster potter for captain <laughs> makes more sense <laughs> harry actually feels brave after saying this but i would be very embarrassed honestly yeah. because i don't i wouldn't want any attention on me the first time i'm ever playing a quidditch match i wouldn't want any expectation i know i'd be really embarrassed if anybody called out that it was my first match also what if i suck what if i suck really badly <laughs> it's pretty cool that quidditch is gender neutral no yeah it is even the first quidditch match described in the book quidditch through the ages is gender neutral in the first ever reference to a quidditch match you don't get the name quidditch or you don't get a lot of details but after a century there is a random guy who wrote to his cousin talking about something called quidditch with a k and he talks about how his wife was sick with dragonpox she couldn't play catcher which is i guess equal into chaser So even then it was gender neutral and we know from the descriptions in Quidditch through the ages that there are teams that are entirely composed of just women and it's not because it is a segregated sport but because they choose to have teams which are just full of women yeah but see this is what i see that in a lot of jk rowling's work there's a very mixed signal of what she thinks feminism is first we see that it's a boy girl sport but the very next scene described Lee Jordan talks about how Angelina Johnson is a good player but also a very good looking player. And the quaffle is taken immediately by Angelina Johnson of Gryffindor. What an excellent chaser that girl is and rather attractive too. But that's not J.K. Rowling's intention. That's Lee Jordan's voice. But I don't do you think that's sexist? No. Because the book is written in a style where it is Harry narrating to us like it is Harry thinking this. Harry looks at people and tells us his perceptions. But if it had if it had been written in a completely removed perspective like it's the author looking on and it just said there were three players alongside Harry one of them was talented but good looking or something like that I would think that's sexist. Mm. But here because we are always seeing it through a character's eyes mm. it doesn't feel sexist. Before the quidditch match begins would gathers the entire team together and gives them the same speech that he has apparently been giving for years or in a speech that all of the team members have memorized and can repeat word for word one after another which they proceed to do so <laughs> and it's not just fred and george i think uh, katie also joins in yeah it's very sad that he's not changing his speech it's really funny that he ends his speech with or else <laughs> like he tries to be like really strict and threatening but everybody's like yeah yeah whatever and they just like take off to the pitch Have you been in a group sport? Never. Well, I have been usually on the losing team. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to remember if we had any of such pep talks. I can't think of any. I don't think we had the maturity to do something like that. Well, recently I've been playing ultimate frisbee and an ultimate frisbee match involves a lot of substitutions. 
So every time there's like a new set of people together, there's not a pep talk, but it's more of a you're doing this, you're doing this kind of feeling only. <laughs> Definitely not a pep talk. Yes. <laughs> so I have no idea what you're yeah. talking about. <laughs> they already know the, who's the chaser, yes. who's the seeker. <laughs> I got reminded of one other role in uh, Vidic. Apparently there are no substitutes. Like if a player is injured, that's all you play without the player. That is really interesting considering that there is a line about reserves in the book. So what are the reserves there for? No, reserves are when, um, let's say, Katie Bell is sick and she cannot join the match at all. Then the reserve oh. comes in. Okay, so they play to pretty much the death yeah. of all of them. Yeah, because this is mainly because the bludger is involved, I think. The bludger's main job is to take a player out. There is no point in taking someone out if you're going to substitute them. Fair enough. So they start playing the match and the match's commentator is Lee Jordan, a friend of Fred and George. He is a delightful commentator, not my most favorite in the series. My most favorite in the series won't show up for another three books. But his commentary is very funny. He's clearly a Gryffindor and he's no matter how hard he tries, he gets really biased sometimes. The really funny part is that Professor McGonagall is sitting right next to him <laughs> even as he comments on the match and keeps intervening every time she thinks that he's too biased or is saying absurd things. So it makes for a really fun match. I wish all commentary was like this. I would probably watch more sports if yeah. they were. Uh, actually, when the commentary gets really serious, Stephen Fry d- does a great job. Slytherin in possession, flint with the quaffle, passes Spinet, passes Bell, hit hard in the face by a bludger, hope it broke his nose, only joking, Professor. Uh, Slytherin score! Oh no! If it had been a straightforward sentence-by-sentence description, mm. I think it would have been rather boring, but having Jordan take over the narration made it more interesting. Yeah, true. Harry actually doesn't get involved in the game. Until like a few minutes in, uh, narration focuses on Harry only after the first goal. Until then, it's about how the team is playing, what uh, Fred and George are doing and what the Slytherin captain, Marcus Flint, is doing and all that. Yeah, that's because Harry's game plan is to stay out of reach, hovering over the game and just looking for the snitch, which he, I think he does a pretty bad job of initially because the first person to spot the snitch is Lee Jordan. <laughs> and it's not Harry or the Slytherin seeker. So when Lee Jordan spots the snitch near uh, Adrian Pusey's ear, Adrian Pusey himself doesn't see it because he's stupidly looking over his other shoulder. Harry immediately reacts and races to catch the snitch, except Flint fouls him. So this foul is actually called blatching, <laughs> flying with intent to collide. So it was a really funny name. I also forgot to mention this other fun fact about the 700 fouls observed by the Department of Magical Sports and Games. So 90% of them actually cannot be enacted in a match in Harry's time because of a rule that was established in 1538, which said that uh, you cannot use a wand against your opponent in a Quidditch match. Only 10% of the rules can actually be enacted in Harry's time as a Quidditch player. And those rules are pretty absurd. They include stuff like attacking your opponent with an axe, setting your opponent's broom on fire. (laughs) So what they mean is that most of the fouls involve players attacking each other with wands. But you can still do that. It's not that you cannot do that. But it's the ultimate rule. You cannot use magic during a Quidditch match. You can still do that. Then you face the consequence. (laughs) Pretty much. And Flynn does face the consequence of his foul. Madam Hooch orders a free throw for the Gryffindors. But it's too late. Snitch has gotten away. Everybody is very upset about the foul. Including Lee Jordan (laughs) and Hagrid and Dean. Who demands that Flynn get a red card. (laughs) I also really like this particular uh, description. 
Chaser Pusey ducks two bludgers, two Weasleys and Chaser Bell. Yeah. <laughs> I see this in a lot of uh, J.K. Rowling's writing. She clubs inanimate objects with real people in a sentence and gives them the same importance. It was Hermione Granger wearing a pink dressing gown and a frown. Yeah, I don't know okay. what it's By the end of this podcast, we shall figure out what this <laughs> no, writing just... device is called. <laughs> So the match proceeds, but then something strange happens to Harry. Like his broom starts bucking and he's afraid he'll fall off. He actually tries to fly towards wood to call for a time off, but his broom just refuses to listen to him. It isn't long before the rest of the stadium begins to take notice of what's happening to Harry. Ron, Hermione and Hagrid are flabbergasted about what's happening. Hagrid actually says that Harry lost control of the broom, but he can't have. And then he also theorizes that it could happen if someone is using powerful dark magic to alter the course of the broom. And that's when Hermione springs into action. She sees Snape opposite them in the other, at the other end of the stadium, muttering to himself. She immediately runs over to Snape. She knocks into Quirrell in the process and uh, sets Snape's robes on fire, which once Snape notices, immediately scoops back into a jar and then hurries back, <laughs> knowing that Snape wouldn't be able to see her because she was behind him when she set his robes on fire. But her intervention actually saves Harry from his broom. He's able to gain control and he's speeding down towards the pitch when he starts choking on something <laughs> and it turns out that he swallowed the snitch. So Hermione, the person who doesn't like to break rules and who holds teachers in high regards, is doing something that's so gutsy and it's so against her own fabric as a she, character. She sets fire to a teacher. Yeah. She could have been very easily seen. It's not like in the movies where she sets fire and goes away. She stays there to pick the fire back up. <laughs> Distracting any teacher is dangerous. Distracting Snape. I mean, she must have really believed that Snape is doing something really bad for her to throw caution to the wind like that. She does mention that Snape doesn't look away from Harry's broom the whole time and that jinxes require you to maintain eye contact while you're performing them, which I think must have just cemented her suspicions that Snape was doing something fishy. And looks like she was partly right because the minute she sets fire to Snape's robes, he yelps and turns around. Harry's broom is fine. Mm. And they win the match because Harry swallowed the snitch, nearly <laughs> swallowed the snitch. And when this whole hoopla was happening with Harry hanging off from his broom, Marcus Flint scores five times with nobody's noticing. And it's so cheap and funny. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> in the movies, actually, the score is kept by Lee Jordan. Clearly not in the books because if he's scoring with no one noticing, that means there is an automatic scorekeeping mechanism. Yeah, I guess there is. I love Flint's objections. He didn't catch it. He nearly swallowed it. So it doesn't count. <laughs> Even I thought it was slightly unfair the way Harry caught the snitch. People start to think that he's getting control of the broom and the next thing you know, he wins the match. But in the movies, they make a really big deal of him winning the match. He holds up the snitch and shows people. Here, the match ends in complete chaos. And he's not even there to celebrate with his team 20 minutes later. He's in Hagrid's hut. Yeah, he is. And didn't you think it was strange that nobody investigates what happened to the broom? Nobody comes and asks him, asks to examine the broom and figure out what's happening, Yeah, what happened to it. It is strange. McGonagall is there. There must have been other teachers there too. And nobody thinks of saving Harry. They don't try to investigate when this is happening. Fred and George do try to save Harry. They try to come and help him onto their brooms. But the broom will just keep rising higher and higher. Yeah. So Fred and George will hover below hoping to catch him when he falls. Which I thought was incredibly sweet of them. Yeah. No, that's what. What were the teachers doing? Nothing. Because <laughs> this is a children's book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And anyway... 
whatever snape was doing at that point where he's muttering a really long spell without wands through the series we see things like this happening to my memory only three times this is one and the other two times also happened with snape wandless magic you mean wandless magic where he's muttering a really long spell that we never get to learn about in the series the books end with harry being an adolescent mm-hmm. just approaching adulthood and i guess as an adult he would have learned these kind of spells somehow and we would have also gotten to see how those things work but sadly we never get to see it also goes to show that snape is an incredibly powerful wizard because he's actually performing wandless magic i guess it could be a sign of dark magic too that only dark magic involve you muttering incantations for so long yeah because later on in the series when we see other characters performing wandless magic and the first person who springs to mind is dumbledore mm. dumbledore never mutters long spells most of the time his yeah. magic involves him waving his hand yeah so they go to hagrid's hut and they're discussing the events of the match and hagrid's confused because he's like why would snape try to you know throw you off your broom and harry says well it's because i saw him in the staff room with his mangled leg which is the dumbest thing i have ever heard surely there is a better way of you know getting harry out of the way snape again is a potions master he could have just given him something to make him forget that incident happened or he could have poisoned him and put him in the hospital wing for a <laughs> while but snape doesn't really want to do that he doesn't but harry clearly jumps to conclusions really fast without even thinking it much through and i'm really disappointed in hermione for not asking similar questions <laughs> i know i think she was very skeptical until she saw this incident with the broom she is completely convinced afterwards hagrid is pretty confused as to snape's motivations why would he want what the three-headed dog is guarding and he actually slips up and identifies the three-headed dog fluffy <laughs> he brought it from a greek chappy apparently <laughs> for those people who still haven't realized that the three-headed dog is cerebrus <laughs> In the movies Hermione says that thing has a name and Hagrid just goes on to blurt out more things What that dog is guarding is strictly between Professor Dumbledore and Nicholas Flamel Who is Nicholas Flamel Hagrid refuses to say and just looks furious with himself for blurting <laughs> out so many things that he shouldn't have Harry's like aha <laughs> That was so stupid maybe if you had not said that he would have continued to tell you who Nicholas Flamel is That brings us to the end of chapter 11 Quidditch Before we move on to the next chapter in the last episode we spoke about our harry potter stories and asked you to send us your stories so this time we have a story from our listener manaswini we are going to play that now uh, hi i'm manaswini i've been listening to mimble mimble for a while and i'm i've been a potter head for about 15 years 16 years now my story with harry potter started pretty late in life actually i was around 12 to 13 years old when my childhood best friend kind of pushed me into reading the book she said this will change your life the way you read books will change and and all that i still didn't buy into it because uh, when i was i think 10 or 11 uh, the first harry potter movie released philosopher's stone and i happened to watch the movie before i started reading the books and i was so terribly disappointed i don't know why but i was so disappointed that i was very convinced that this is not the book for me this is not the series for me but then my friend was very very persistent she kept pushing and pushing and pushing one day i just gave up and i said fine i gave into her whims and i started reading the books and 
yeah i don't think i've admitted it to her but she was right uh, the books did change my life forever even today i'm 27 now i still read the books those are my go to books whenever i'm feeling down happy sad it's literally in sickness and in health kind of a deal with uh, the harry potter books and mine i have i own the illustrated editions i own the 20 years anniversary the the edition that came out in the color of your houses i was so mad that i went ahead and bought all of them i still have my eye on the box set which costs about 13000 bucks in inr i'm hoping to save that as a reward for something if i achieve something big or it's challenge but yeah so um, yeah that's my story with uh, harry potter that's how it started and it's probably going to stay with me for the rest of my life that's a pretty nice story so if you would like to share your story with us just record yourself on your phone and send the recording to mimblewimblepodcast@gmail.com yeah we are always happy to hear new stories and i'm sure our listeners are too chapter 12 the mirror of erisel before we begin talking about the chapter itself as i've mentioned in the previous episodes i'm reading the illustrated edition of uh, harry potter and the philosopher's stone with illustrations by jim k and every chapter has a header illustration which is sometimes about the events of the chapter itself but a lot of times just random art featuring the hogwarts castle for this particular chapter the flying pig makes another appearance oh yeah it's cold snowed and it, and the flying pig looks like it's vomiting an icicle on the roof what? yeah there's an icicle that's hanging just below its mouth and it looks like <laughs> it's vomiting an icicle <laughs> There's a storm because of which only a few owls manage to battle their way through the stormy sky, and Hagrid has to nurse them to help before he sends them back out. Yeah, Malfoy is really upset that Harry won the last match, so he first tries to make fun of Harry. He had tried to get everyone laughing at how a wide-mouthed tree frog would be replacing Harry as seeker next. Which is the unfunniest thing I have ever heard. <laughs> yeah, clearly everybody finds it unfunny, and then which he is why attacks. He, which is why he moves on to attacking. Harry not having a family. He's actually pretty bad at this trash talking right now. At least when it comes to Harry because he doesn't know yet what Harry's weaknesses are. Whereas when it comes to Ron Weasley, his parents have brought him up well in that sense. They have told him so many things about the Weasleys that he's able to attack him in the best way that will hurt him. Which he does devastating effect when Harry and Ron find that the corridor is taken up by Hagrid and a giant 12-foot Christmas tree. Ron offers to help Hagrid with the tree which is the funniest thing I've ever heard because Ron is a 11 year old boy and the tree is a 12 foot Christmas tree. Ron sticks his head between the branches of the tree to ask Hagrid that. And Hagrid ends up being witness to Malfoy attacking Ron about his parents. Snape comes along to take points from Ron which is when we find out that Ron is also staying for Christmas with Harry. Do you think Ron stayed back for Harry? I think the whole Weasley family stayed back for Harry. They say that uh, the Weasley family is going off to Romania to visit Charlie. but knowing the weasley family this is perfectly possible yeah <laughs> i guess they could have invited him too but they would have been like okay we always wanted to visit romania maybe you can stay with your friend this time yeah so they and go they're using all their free time to go to the library and read about nicolas flamel harry also talks about how they've looked in a great deal of books like notable names of the century and great visiting discoveries of our time and hermione asks that harry and ron continue looking over the holidays as well to which ron replies why don't you ask your parents when you're going home and hermione says that's a great idea they're dentists <laughs> 
which brings <laughs> me to the question why doesn't ron ask his parents uh, i was thinking about the same thing i think ron's parents will know that he's up to something and they'll inform his teachers there is hermione's parents are literally safe because they are not as controlling as ron's parents also hermione is such a nerd that it's completely possible she wants to know for some non mischievous reason yeah exactly do normal libraries have restricted sections yes i've actually never seen them if you have rare books out of print copies they're all in the restricted section hmm interesting i have actually been to libraries where uh, if it's a really old manuscript that's falling apart they don't even show you the real book they only show you photocopies mm. and there are libraries whose entire purpose is to preserve rare book the older a book it is the more likely that it was written on something that is bound to disintegrate the minute you pick it up you'll have to wear gloves to even like touch the photocopy of it <laughs> <laughs> but it's not about preservation here it's more like the book handles subjects that are very sensitive and that is why they are placed in a restricted section i wonder if children's library have something like that no mm, strange but we get introduced to madam pins because harry is like maybe there's something about nicholas flamel in a restricted section and i think his guilt must have uh, been showing in his face because children are not allowed to enter restricted section and unless no they one is a, allowed to enter the restricted section until unless they have a pass from the yeah, teachers from the teachers madam pins comes and shoes them away we get to know more about madam pins in the la- later chapters interestingly when i was reading quidditch through the ages i saw that dumbledore wrote the foreword for it and he talks about how hard it was to get the book away from madam pins in order for them to be able to publish this book and give it to muggles in the foreword he says although i have removed the usual library book spells from this volume i cannot promise that every trace has gone madam pins has been known to add unusual jinxes to the books in her care i myself doodled absent-mindedly on a copy of theories of transubstantial transfiguration last year and next moment found the book beating me fiercely around the head please be careful how you treat this book i would honestly love that yeah one of the reasons i don't like lending out books that i treasure is that people are not very good caretakers especially of books no i guess people are good caretakers of things they value and uh, obviously the thing that you value might not be the same as things someone else values that is true but it is very interesting to know how she does her job unlike filch or hagrid she has the ability to do magic and she is not afraid to use them to protect the books yeah it's pretty cool that she does yeah. that so despite hermione making them promise that they would continue to research over the holidays minute everybody leaves for the holidays harry and ron completely slack off They find out that the common room being emptier than usual is completely to their advantage because they get all the good armchairs by fire. And they start playing wizard chess which Ron is very good at. I find the idea of wizard chess very exciting. Not Quidditch. Wizard chess is the game that I want to play. Yeah, me too. I think it's really exciting because it's more like directing your troops into battle which puts me in the mind of Age of Empires so mm-hmm. wizard chess has automatically become 100x more interesting to me than <laughs> real chess but I do have one question they mentioned that Ron has a set of chessmen that he knows really well that he inherited from his grandfather Harry plays with chessmen that he got from Seamus yeah. so wizard chess comes with only like one set of chessmen I had the same question I am not sure then where does the board come from I I don't know. I love that Harry's chessmen don't trust him because he's not a very good player so they keep shouting out advice to him like <laughs> Don't send me there. Can't you see his knight? Send him. We can afford to lose him. I like that you need to earn the trust of your troops before you can play out your strategies with them. It's like real war but without the collateral damage. <laughs> 
Yeah, that is pretty much Age of Empires. Except you don't have to earn anyone's trust. You just have to build a town center and get supplies. Yeah. Then so, Christmas comes and Harry is not expecting any presents at all. When Harry is surprised that he got presents, Ron is like, what were you expecting? Turnips? <laughs> <laughs> mm. Yeah. All of Harry's presents were really lovely. Hagrid makes Harry a present, which is very considerate. The Dursleys actually give Harry something, which is a 50 cent coin. Yeah. But... It's still something. Also, what note did Harry send to the Dursleys that he's not coming home for Christmas? I'm not sure, but I don't understand this relationship. Seriously, you can ignore him. Why send him any present? Is it to say that we care about you so less that we'll only give you this? Is it a spiteful gesture? Or is Christmas such a deeply entrenched cultural thing there that they have to send Presence. everybody you know something? I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> and I wonder how Harry sent the note. Do you think he sent it by Hedwig? I think so. Must have been fun. <laughs> For them, I mean, it must have been fun to suddenly wake up to find an owl in your kitchen which refuses to leave maybe unless they give Harry a present. So they would have been forced to give something. That makes total sense. So, you think Hagrid giving the flute was... Plot device! <laughs> Harry has not expressed any interest in music. Initially, I thought that the flute was a reference to the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice. TLDR, Orpheus's wife dies, goes to the underworld, and Orpheus wants to get her back desperately. So, he goes and plays his music before the entrance of the underworld, and it lulls Cerebrus to sleep, and he just keeps going on and anytime someone stops him he plays the music he even plays the music to impress Hades and Persephone they're really shaken by his music so they say okay you can have Eurydice back but the only condition is that you must walk from here to the entrance of hell without looking back so that's dear dear no no so <laughs> so he walks all the way to the entrance of hell but when he gets to sunlight he wants to look around and just see the expression on her face when she sees the sunlight so he turns around and she's there in a ghost-like form but he's already turned around and looked at her so she disappears oh but the point here is that Orpheus subdued Cerebrus with music. Now, Orpheus used a lyre, which is not possible to send by owl <laughs> to anybody. <laughs> so I think Hagrid gave Harry a flute. It's either a very stupid present or a very diabolical one. <laughs> Seriously, encouraging Harry to go after something when outwardly he's like, mind your own business. <laughs> True, I didn't think about it like that at all. <laughs> And I thought it was really sweet of Ron to tell his mother that Harry wouldn't be expecting any presents. So his mom sends Harry a jumper and some fudge, which is also very considerate and thoughtful. Christmas is being celebrated in the visiting world. Are they all Christians? No. How are you so convinced? Is it because of Parvati party? Uh, no. I mean, you can be Indian and still be Christian, right? Yeah, true. Yeah. No, no, I think that they are not Christians. Okay, I don't know. I think Christmas transcends religion. Mm. For most people, they might not do any of the religious activities usually associated with Christmas, like going to mass. They're just going to celebrate the part where, you know, it's family reunion time and mm. it's people True. just hanging out and having fun together. That's it. But I don't I, know what kind of religion is prominent in the magical world. We never find that out. Yeah, we never find out. But there are many, many books exploring the religious undertones of Harry Potter or the paganist undertones of Harry Potter. Both are there. It's very interesting that many Christians were against this book because of its pagan rituals. And many Christians were for this book because it, it's almost a faithful retelling of the Bible, according to some of them. I feel like I should read these books to figure out how it's a faithful yeah, retelling of the Bible. Yeah, I, I don't get that. But actually, J.K. Rowling, after the series got over, she has said that she is a, a practicing Christian. And she did not want to reveal that 
or talk about it too much because if they know about her faith intelligent readers might be able to guess what happens in harry potter okay it's an interpretation of the bible <laughs> Apparently, Chronicles of Narnia is also... Chronicles of Narnia is a more obvious, allegory-filled fantasy story. It is really strange though. This book series has provoked hatred and love from many religious communities. And nobody can agree upon what this book is promoting. One set of people are just saying that this is promoting witchcraft. I honestly don't know what that means. It's not real. So what is she trying to promote here? One set of people are like, it's all Christian values. Other people like me... just take it at its face value which is it's just an excellent story but jk rowling has also maintained that the wizarding community itself depicted in hogwarts is multi faith but like you said it makes sense that they are celebrating christmas even though they are not practicing christians because it's a cultural thing more than a religious thing more about the food rather than anything else the food and the letter sweaters that Mrs. Weasley sends out every year. I think she gets revenge for Fred and George playing that joke on her earlier in the year by sending them sweaters with their initials on it, <laughs> which they switch and wear and call themselves Gred and Forge. Yeah. And they think that Harry's sweater is better because she obviously makes more of an effort if you're not family. Seriously, there's not enough Fred and George. I agree. <laughs> Harry gets a mysterious present. He doesn't know who sent it to him. but he opens it and ron recognizes it at once he correctly recognizes it as an invisibility cloak he says that it's really rare the cloak has a note with it but the note does not actually identify the sender it just says use it well a very merry christmas to you and then that's when fred and george come in and he doesn't have an opportunity to think about this too much they go to the feast and it's food everywhere after a very good lunch harry comes back and he loses spectacularly to ron in wizard's chess and that phrase is always stuck with me losing being described as spectacular is very peculiar i play chess now and then and whenever i lose or whenever i lose in a way that's dumb i think about this phrase <laughs> After Harry loses to Ron, the Weasley family and Harry have a snowball fight. And then they have more food, cake and sandwiches. But even though Harry is so full, he remembers the invisibility cloak. And even though he is so full of turkey and cake, he is curious enough to actually put on the cloak and venture out into Hogwarts. That's because as said in the book, he realizes that the whole of Hogwarts is open to him right now and nobody can catch him. If he like me is on no mission, I don't think he would have had the motivation to get up and go exploring. But he has a pretty clear mission. He wants to find out who Nicholas Flamel is. So that's a pretty good excuse. He goes to the restricted section of the library to read some book about it. He looks at all the books in the section and there are a lot of like strange looking books, some written in languages he can't recognize, one with a stain that looks like blood. He pulls out a book at random and it starts screaming. This <laughs> is an excellent book alarm if you're a librarian and you're listening to this podcast. Consider building the deck for it. I got reminded of your pockets of magic comment from the fourth episode when... I read this because if a book is screaming what went wrong but then after i read about madam pins and how she protects her books i feel like like you said it could be a book alarm more than some magical thing to do with the book itself and harry does mention that he feels like the books are whispering that there is an intruder there yeah so filch arrives on the scene harry panics and his lamp goes out so he hurries past filch and runs until he ends up near a suit of armor that he thinks is near the kitchens yeah he tries to escape filch mm-hmm. and uh, to his horror filch and snape are outside looking for the intruder to escape them he goes into this disused classroom 
there he sees a mirror the mirror of erised i thought it was a they were made up words on top of the mirror or maybe they were latin or something but it was really really flabbergasted to realize that they're just in reverse yeah stephen fry actually had to pronounce all those words in the way it is i guess there's no other way around it but he was pretty good he made it sound like a real language erised straeru oit ube Kafru oit on wosi words being in reverse reminded me of jabberwocky from alice in wonderland which is a poem which is written in reverse english so she has to hold it up to a mirror and read it oh. in the mirror harry walks up to the mirror and sees a bunch of people behind him which immediately freaks him out as it should but then he realizes that some of the people look really familiar one person looks like he has harry's nobly niece <laughs> and another look has same kind of hair as harry that sticks up in the back and the lady right next to him has the same eyes and harry realizes that he's looking at his family for the first ever time there's this description there of harry feeling half joy and half terrible sadness which reminded me of this essay that you read about harry potter being great literature yeah about how his affinity towards family trumps everything else yeah even i got reminded of that i think this is the most emotional point of this book Harry actually doesn't know what his parents look like and he thinks that he's looking at them but later we find out that this only shows your desire it might be them it might be Harry's own imagined version of them so that makes it even sadder the way this chapter this particular segment is described the words used just make it amazing he stares hungrily back at the mirror i felt so sad for him in the illustrated edition he's shown leaning against the mirror and looks like he's crying Yeah, that's a very very powerful image. So Harry brings Ron back because he wants to show him his family and he wants to see Ron's full family as well and Ron says well all you have to really do is come around my house during the summer. You can see all the undead woods. <laughs> so they go to the mirror but the thing is Ron's not able to see his family. He's only able to see himself in the mirror. He's head boy, he has the house cup and he's the Quidditch captain. Everything mm-hmm. that his brothers were and more because he's everything. <laughs> He's all of them. Yeah, he's better looking too. <laughs> Ron thinks that it's maybe showing the future when Harry's like, how can it? Because my parents are dead. And he keeps coming back. Ron tries to stop him from doing that because he feels that something's fishing with the mirror. But he keeps coming back until Dumbledore intervenes. intervenes yeah. We realize that Dumbledore has been sitting there all along, all these days. And he says that he does need a cloak to become invisible. And there's this very good line about how strange how short-sighted being invisible can make you. And Dumbledore goes on to explain the mirror itself that it's not showing you the future, it's not showing you the past, it's showing you what your heart desires. So for Harry all he really wants to do is know his family. So it shows him his family and Ron sees himself standing alone, the best of his brothers. Dumbledore also says that this mirror does not give you any truth or knowledge and people have been wasting away in front of this. What an interesting concept. I think no matter who looks into this mirror and no matter what they see it will be sad. Uh, Dumbledore totally. himself says the happiest man in the world will look into the mirror and only see himself but everybody yeah. else will only see what they want which which they want only because they don't have it. Yeah. Not the fact that they don't have it itself doesn't make it sad but let's say you look into the mirror and see something that's totally achievable it's going to be a petty deepest desire but if you look into the mirror and see something that's not achievable at all then it's not achievable so it's sad <laughs> i guess it cannot give you joy in any way and then dumbledore says that the mirror is going to be moved yeah. so harry shouldn't go looking for it but if he ever does run across it again he will now be prepared 
please note this line <laughs> he also says one of the very famous dumbledore quotes it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live harry asks him a really personal question at the end of this interaction he asks him what he sees and dumbledore says that he sees himself with a pair of socks because people insist on giving him books <laughs> long ago i read a fan fiction about mirror of erised I don't read fan fictions at all. For some reason I read about this. It's about different characters looking into the mirror of Erised and it's a story about what each one would find. I don't remember anybody else's story, but there's one story that stuck with me. It's about George Weasley and uh, I cannot talk about it right now because it has a lot of spoilers, but if you know the story pretty well, then we'll post the link on the website and you can take a look. I just checked it out yesterday and it's still live. and i remember parts of the story so well it had such a deep impact on me that none of the fan fictions have so the harry potter series itself gets intensely emotional now and then so it's like uh, the frog being boiled to death slowly you don't get a particular tipping point for a character where you're like okay this character is good i'm going to start rooting for this character you just start understanding and empathizing with the character over a period of time and suddenly when something emotional is happening to them that's when you realize that you like that character so much this was the tipping point for me for harry potter the the boy usually the story is what amazes me i don't usually care about the harry potter the boy itself but when we started this podcast and started talking about the first chapter and the abuse he faces and all that that's when i started really caring about him and this this particular episode sealed it i felt really sad i this must have been the 100th time i've read this but i was almost close to tears at the end of this one i kind of get what you mean i've always really liked hermione but not in a hermione is my favorite i am rooting for her kind of way but there is a pleasant preference for hermione that when hermione is there everything seems better for me which might be the reason i don't particularly enjoy some books where hermione doesn't play a prominent role but it's it was while we were reading the chapters for this podcast that i began to realize just how much i really like hermione like she has her flaws but she is the most interesting character of the series to me now That brings us to the end of today's episode. If you'd like to discuss this episode, drop us a comment on our website mimblemimble.in. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr. In the next episode, we'll be talking about the events leading up to Harry getting detention. That's right at the beginning of Chapter 15, The Forbidden Forest. Thank you for listening. Until then, we're not stupid. We know we're called Gred and Forge. Mimble, 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 mimble,